0: In today's show, we're looking at the Detroit Pistons and their season preview with the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, Kuka Hill, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and
1: it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball podcast.
0: Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed.
1: You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of
0: the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Basketball Monster is open for the 2022-2023 season. So for all of your fantasy basketball projections, whether that's points leagues, category leagues, it's all there. And we are open for business. You know, two, three weeks earlier than what we normally are. So go and check it out over there. We're going to continue on with the team preview series of shows and talk about the Detroit Pistons, a team whose rotation is as confusing as almost anybody's in the NBA. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) Let's bring him back in. It is the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast. Kuka Hill is here. Koo, welcome back. Thank you for having me, man. Always a good time. It is. It's going to be a good time because we're going to talk about Detroit Pistons. And I've said this all offseason. There are two teams that are probably the most confusing in terms of rotation players at a very different level in the NBA. That The Clippers have got about 12 guys who are probably rotation players um, with maybe 10 of those guys being top eight guys. And the Pistons have got about 12 rotation players, with about seven of those guys being you know, ranked 9 to 12 in a regular rotation. It's really hard to figure out how this is all going to go. So we've got a lot to try and get through uh, with this squad. We'll start off, as I do all of these shows, just by looking at what's actually happened in the offseason. Alec Burks is in, Jalen Duran, Jaden Ivey were drafted, Nerland's in a well, Kevin Knox, Buddy Bayheim, Kemba Walker is still, unbelievably, for some reason, on this roster. Let's talk about Kemba now, because we're not going to talk about it later on. Why is he still on the roster?
1: Um, I have no clue. He's going to be bought out. Uh, they said that as soon as they made the trade for him that he'd yeah. be bought out. I'm confused about why it hasn't been confirmed yet or why they haven't technically went through with it, but yeah, I'm I'm
0: confused on that one. This is not meant to be a slight or a criticism, but whenever there's something that weird, weird that happens with the pistons and transactions and rotations, the answer could, is always just Troy Weaver, and that's not a negative, it's not a positive, but it's just Troy Weaver because he seems to do everything different to everybody else.
1: Yeah, he usually when Troy Weaver makes a move, you can't judge that move until three moves later. Like like the Jeremy Grant move, for example. Yep. <laughs> he traded Jeremy Grant for a late round pick in twenty twenty five and we were all like, Well, damn, that's all you got for Jeremy Grant, and then he ends up turning that into basically Jalen Dern and a few expiring contracts and uh team options with Nolan Noel, Kimball Walker, and uh Alec Burke. So Troy Weaver is uh is definitely fascinating. I'll I'll say that.
0: In terms of like that Jeremy Grant one, so like he signed the contract and went, wow, that's a lot of money to put Jeremy Grant in the number one role that he's not suited to. He puts up some numbers that doesn't lead to any wins. Is it worth it? Then he gets traded for what was absolutely nothing, and then he they turn that absolutely nothing into something that's very good. So it's just a complete roller coaster. But as I've said with Weaver all the time, like some of these moves that turn out looking good like this one, it requires other teams being stupid some of the time, and... How much credit do I give him for... Maybe I do, just the power of persuasion from telling the Knicks and the Hornets, hey, how about you take this nothing pick and give us pick 13 in this draft? And they go, oh, okay, no worries. And it makes him look great, even though it's like he's just constantly like snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat with some of these moves. And it's just, everything is always confusing. And you're right, it's very hard to... like. It's very hard to judge so much of this stuff that ends up happening. In terms of players that left, Jeremy Grant is gone, as we've said. Frank Jackson is gone, a player that he signed the previous offseason. Carson Edwards, Luca Gaza, Piston savior Luca Gaza is out of there. And uh, Jamorco Pickett, they're all gone as well. Now, I'm seeing if there's anyone here that we need to know. We'll talk about all the, most of these guys later. Now, I want to get this from you because as far as I can tell, we are all clear with injuries heading into the season.
1: Yes, everyone seems to be healthy. Knock on wood, at least right now. Uh, but yeah, everyone seems to be good.
0: That is, I couldn't ask for a more perfect uh, portion of this show to talk about injuries and say that everything's clear because we don't have any confusion. We don't, uh, something could crop up, of course, but that's always great. Now let's get to the part where I think it's going to take a bit of our time. And I'm going to ask you, Ku, I've already asked you and you've told me because I've got the graphic prepared, but I'm going to ask you what your expected starting five is for the Detroit Pistons. And then I'm going to yell at you.
1: Okay. All right. So I just want to say this before I say this starting five, no one in Detroit, including like the beat riders, no one knows what the starting five is going to be. Cause it's just so, it's really about the front court, the front court's So just clunky and just, it, and lot last stuff makes sense of the front court right now. So it's hard to predict, but if I have to predict as of right now, I'm going to go with Cade Cunningham. We got Jane Ivy, Sadiq Bay. I think those three are very clear. And I think they're going to go with Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Stewart. And I know you have Marvin Bagley, for everyone watching on YouTube, you got Marvin Bagley at the four spot. I actually think they're going to put Marvin Bagley at the five and put Isaiah Stewart at the four and have him space – or trying to space the floor at the four and let Marvin Bagley run pick and rolls to the rim. They'll probably have Isaiah Stewart run the five defensively. Uh, But offensively, Isaiah Stewart will probably be spotting up a lot – or use a little bit more in the short roll, they're gonna to try to do that kind of thing. Um, but that's what my prediction is as of right now. I
0: I tend to agree that that is probably what they would do. I don't think it is the right, to me, Marvin Bagley probably shouldn't be in the rotation at all. That's just how I view him as a player. He's a guy that puts up empty points and rebounds, but there's a black hole, doesn't pass, doesn't defend, uh, doesn't shoot well, doesn't shoot well at the line, all of those things. I, I just don't think it makes a lot of sense. And when you've got a player like Cade Cunningham, I would have thought you would've would want to surround him with guys that can shoot and can space and can pass. Whereas in this lineup, it legitimately could be said that Cade Cunningham's the best shooter out of this group. Sadiq Bey profiles as a shooter, but he yeah, didn't shoot well last season. He, in fact he shot horribly for last season in Stewart, we don't know, and Jaden Ivey doesn't profile as a shooter. So it just is weird to me that you know and I've criticized the Bagley contract a lot because I don't know who they were bidding against. And yes, the money's not that much, but when you've got and we're going to talk about this in a second when we talk about your bench five group, like you've got a ton of big men, like he actually isn't needed on this team. So why do you think that this is the way cause I, I tend to agree? And I have my reasons, but why do you think they're going to go this way and start a lineup, which to, to me, I would have Isaiah livers in that spot straight away, like get some space and get some shooting, get someone who play like that's a modern NBA sort of style rather than a Bagley. Who's going to take up possessions and not actually provide anything for anyone else. So why do they, why do they want that combination?
1: Well, I'll, I'll so I'm, I'm going to defend Marvin Bagley just a tad real quick. Once um, he came to Detroit, um, a lot of the things you brought up, and I'm not going to say you're going lie, the defense is still very, 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 very bad. Um, but one of the things they did when he came to Detroit, he actually was not asked to do a lot for them. A lot of the stuff that he did, a lot of the scoring he did, was created for him. And I think that's what's best for him. Um, so he's not – I would be worried as well if they were expecting him to sh- soak up possessions and they we were just feeding him in the post, wanting him to do stuff. I like the way they used him. He uh, 71% of his two-point field goals were assisted on. Um, and around the rim, zero to three feet from the rim, he shots 87% on it. it as soon as he got the ball around the rim, it, it was either you fouled him or he was going to put the ball in the basket. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact he's playing with Kay Cunningham, who they kept the ball in his hands, asked Marvin Bagley not to do a lot, just catch lobs, catch the ball in the dunker spot, dunk the ball, and put back dunks. And I think if you keep him in that role, and let him basically do- dominate that sideline, And the pick-and-roll, I think he'll be fine. Secondly, um, I think the the starting lineup is going to lack spacing. It it is. Um, I think Sadiq, uh, I I think this is something that a lot of people, and I don't blame a lot of people, because his first 26 games were just so horrifically bad. He shot like 23% from deep. It crashed his overall season shooting the entire year. But in the final 56 games, he shot 36% from deep on 8.1 attempts um you'd like to see that percentage go a little bit higher but it's good about vo- it's about average three-point shooting on, on a high volume um so i think sadiq will provide that spacing, even though he's a little bit streaky but outside of that you're, you're completely correct it's basically sadiq spacing the floor and i guess you're hoping and ivy improves or not improves but brings a three-point shot to the nba and they're definitely and this is 100 the biggest thing they're absolutely banking on Isaiah Stewart becoming a stretch four. Like they're it's one hundred percent a thing they're banking on. They've talked about it all offseason. season. Uh, we saw a lot of it in the summer league. They think that he's gonna be able to shoot threes and if he doesn't if he isn't able to shoot threes, it, it'll be tough.
0: I, I agree that that's what they are banking on. In terms of Bay, it wasn't just his three-point shooting. He shot, what, 45% from two, which is obviously a really really yeah. poor number as well. He just couldn't hit shots anyway. And he did improve as the season went on. He was tasked in different roles, and that's probably a part of it. The thing I don't understand with the Bagley thing, and I'm, I'm going like, to bang on about it again, is that if you're trying to make Stewart into a stretch four because you want another center there, how about the guy you just drafted? The guy that's actually a centre, the guy that can protect the rim, the guy that can defend and is going to be a really good, strong alley-oop threat and um, and can do all those things that Bagley can do, I think, in Jalen Duran, but he can also defend. And when we talk about your rotation, like he, with all the big men they've got on this team, he might not even play for big chunks of this season. In fact, we'll, we'll go straight to that, your rotation group. You've got Killian Hayes, Alec Burks, who I agree, they'll be in that rotation. You've got Isaiah Livers, Kelly Linick, Nerland's Noel. Now, Noel, we can't rely upon to get hurt, but this is the thing that I talk about with this team. Corey Joseph isn't in this group, and we know how much Dwayne Casey loves him. Jalen Duren's on this group, and you know, he's, to me, if you're going to develop guys, Ivy, Cunningham, Bay, Stewart, Duren. They're your five guys to develop, but knowing Casey and the way this team's structured, he might not play. That's what makes the Bagley thing all the more confusing to me. Or the fact that when they got Noel, no, we're going to use him. Like, why? Why are we doing this? When okay, maybe he functions in the G League, but I think Jalen Duran can at least play backup minutes straight away.
1: Well, I, I'll say this: It definitely was when they made the the, the draft pick of Jalen Duran. We were all very excited in Detroit, but yep. also we did pose the same question that you brought. Okay, what does this mean for Bagley now? Because the front court does start to get a little clunky. Um, I think the answer to that would be they don't I, I don't think they have complete confidence that he's going to be ready to play immediately and that's Darren to be able to play immediately. And Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver have kind of talked a lot about how they want this G league um, their G league team to not be viewed as like a bad thing. They want that to be viewed and they want to develop that as like a a, a big part of their development a big part of their team building moving forward where guys, don't feel bad about being down there now that's a whole bunch of bs for, for a lot of people it <laughs> thank, might be even you. a lot of bs it, it, it might just be a lot of bs to be honest but i think what it shows is that they probably don't think Dern's ready to play immediately um i do expect noel and kelly Olinick to both be moved at some point this season so i think they're going to take a lot of the same approach that they took last season where the roster doesn't look as much doesn't look like it makes a lot of sense leading up to the deadline and then once the deadline comes, you're able to get some guys out, and get some guys brought in. It starts to look a little bit more. It makes more a lot more sense after the deadline. And at that point, you're still like one of the bad teams in the league. You still secure a top pick, and then after the All Star break or after the trade deadline, then you can start putting guys, tell uh, me your younger guys in the rotation, let them play a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. The, the front court definitely is clunky. It's going to be interesting how they do it. Uh, they do still need to free up one roster spot because right now they yep. have 16 guys. Yep. So they're going to have to free up one of these guys. It might be Noel, it might be KO. Um, but,
0: uh, I think it'll be Saban Lee, to be honest.
1: Oh, it, yeah, it could be Saban. Saban could just get waived. That that definitely is a possible outcome, too. But, yeah, the front court's going to be interesting. It definitely was an interesting decision to bring back Bagley. Uh, but Weaver has talked very highly of Bagley. He really likes Bagley. I think it's pretty clear that he does, obviously, because of the contract he gave him. Um, and we'll I guess we'll just have to see how they do it. Uh, I, injuries play a, lot, a large part with KO and Noel, too. So that could play a big part to it
0: too. The other name I didn't mention that's not in this rotation of 10 guys that we talked about is Hamadou Diallo who we've seen Weaver get in, not Weaver, sorry, uh, Casey get into literal on-court arguments with at times. So where he fits in, there's just a bunch of rotation guys that I don't know where they all squeeze in. It is weirdly constructed this roster well, we'll talk about a little bit more of this in a second so i want to talk about isaiah livers with you in just a second but before i do ku i've got to talk about built bar because it's almost as exciting as isaiah livers because they have got a new flavor it is cookie dough chunk puff and like all built bars it's covered in 100 percent real chocolate now me sitting here all the way in australia i haven't had to got to taste these yet but i'm going to hope that you have Koo. have you had the cookie dough chunk
1: i have i have they shipped them out to me how was it it was good. It was good. I still like the peanut butter flavor one. That's still my favorite, but th- these ones were good.
0: I actually smashed a coconut one this morning. I've got the wrapper still here on the office desk. <laughs> had my coconut built Bar this morning. All built Bars, including the cookie dough chunk puff, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They're low in calories. They're lo- low in fat. They're low in sugar, but they are high in protein. So after you've smashed the weights, after you've thrown around the steel, after you're just looking for a delicious and low calorie healthy treat, built Bar is going to be that option. You can get it for 15% off. If you head to Bilt.com, you can use the code locked 15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off your order of all of those delicious built Bars. Bilt Bar is built different. Um. All right, let's talk about some young guys on this squad. There's a few players here that I think are uh, worth, worth talking about. I actually didn't have Isaiah Livers on this list, but I'm going to talk about him in a second because um, I okay. normally look at guys 22 and under. We'll talk Cade for a second because, of course, he is the best player on this squad. Um, I made an argument somewhere. I don't know where it was. I might've written it said it on a podcast that over the last two months of the season, he was the best rookie in the entire NBA. I know you're coming up with a little bit of rose colored glasses, but reckon that's fair.
1: No, yeah, definitely. I think he, you know, a lot. And we just talked about in the last segment um, for the large majority of the season, the roster just didn't make any sense. And he was operating with just really nothing in the starting lineup. He didn't have a lob threat the entire season. Uh, Isaiah Stewart was one of the worst finishers in the entire NBA, and that mm-hmm. was his big guy. So he had nobody putting pressure on the rim. Um, he was forced to settle for a lot of jumpers because of this. Um, so he really struggled uh, efficiency-wise. I think he still showed that he was the number one overall pick and why he was the number one overall pick throughout the season. But he was he was struggling to be efficient for the uh, first like three or so months of the season, even though it started to get better and better as the season went on. Uh, once they got Marvin Bagley, he actually had someone who could put pressure on the rim and finish around the rim and give him a lob threat. He really just took off. Um, there were some numbers in the March, in, in the month of March. I forget what exactly the numbers were, um, but he was doing stuff that hadn't been done since Michael Jordan uh, was a rookie. So he was, he was fantastic over the last two months. I think even during his struggles for the first few months of the season, he showed why he was the number one overall pick. I think you could see that more than anything, he was really being hurt by the players he was playing with and what he was surrounded with. Um, but again, like I said, once the trade deadline came and went, and after the All Star break, they started playing your guy, Isaiah Liversmore, too. He brought some spacing. Uh, they moved Killing Hayes to the bench. They brought Corey Joseph in, who actually shot pretty decent from outside this past season. Uh, it started to make a little bit more sense around him, and he, you really started to see him cook. So I think that's the recipe for the future. I think K is going to be a superstar.
0: Yeah, I think he is too. And I think he's going to have a really big second season. I think he's going to put up huge numbers. I think he's going to be close to a second-round fantasy guy for this coming season as well. We've talked a little bit about Durin. We'll talk about Livers now because James Edwards, the third of the Athletics, seems to think that Livers is a real shot to start. I really like that alignment. I think that he should. You, uh, But I... I Unlike him, I don't think they'll do that but just tell us what what is livers bringing um, to this group because again he's in you've got him here in the rotation ahead of Corey Joseph ahead of Hamadou Diallo. Um, wh- what can he bring as someone who missed the start of last season with injury and was a second round pick you know, what's what is so appealing about him?
1: Isaiah livers is, is and I mean I'm not exaggerating at all he is quite literally like the perfect like piece to have. On your team, that's not a star. Like, he's like the most perfect piece to have on your squad. He talks nonstop defensively. He knows where to be defensively. He's very, um, he talked about this, that he learned a lot of this while at Michigan with Juwan Howard as the coach, uh, that he drilled NBA concepts into them early. So he knows where to be defensively. He talks nonstop. He knows how to rotate. He knows how to scram switch. He knows how to do all that stuff defensively. So he's not a minus in that end. He's going to play great team defense. The same exact thing offensively offensively he doesn't need the ball in his hands to do much he's a great outside shooter but one of the best things about him on offense isn't just the fact he's a good shooter not a lot of people talk about how you need to rotate offensively you need to know where to be on drives. you need to move around on driving kickouts you can't just stand still it's gonna be hard to get you the ball he knows exactly where to go he knows exactly where to be he knows how to free himself open off ball he's going to make the extra swing pass every single time it's available if the pass is there, he's going to make it. He's going to make a quick pass. He's not going to hold the ball. He's not going to stop the ball offensively. He's literally just a perfect complementary piece that you'd want on your team. Um, and I agree. I think he should. If it was me, I would start Isaiah Livers. That, that would be me. I think Cade needs spacing, especially if you're going to start him and Jay and Ivy. I think that if you're going to start those two guys, and those two guys are the guys you're building around. Those are your dynamic duo of the future. You need spacing, and I I would start Isaiah Livers if it was me. I don't think they're going to do that. They seem really hell-bent on making this Isaiah Stewart at the four thing work. Uh, We'll we'll see what happens, but Isaiah Livers is is pretty damn good.
0: All right, here's a – I don't know if that's a hot take or whatever it is, and you can agree, agree or disagree. I think that Livers has a shot of being more valuable and more important to this team over the next four years, say, than Sadiq Bey. I think that he can become a, he's a better shooter than Sadiq Bay. I think that he can be a better defender than Sadiq Bay, and I think that the fit with Cade actually might end up being better. Now, maybe there's not a huge chance of that happening, but I think most people would say that you're crazy. Sadiq Bay dropped 50 in a game, and like he's he's great. But I, I just, in terms of what they can do, in terms of developing into a winning combination, I think there's a legitimate chance that Livers becomes a better complementary piece than what Bay is.
1: I, I can see that. I, I can see the possibility of that happening. The thing with Sadiq is is that he seems to – he's flashed some kind of creation for himself throughout the last season. Now, I don't think you'd want that from him exactly. a lot. I'm not that I'm not that high on Sadiq doing that myself. Um, but he did show as the season went on, he started drawing more free throws. He stopped yeah, settling true. for a lot of long twos. He started settling for a lot of long drawn-out isos and, and dribbling the ball a lot. He started just using his physicality, his strength to get to the rim and force fouls, which I believe he was – drawing four free throw attempts a game, 4.0 over the last 56 games of the season, somewhere around there. Um, So I I can see where you're coming from with that. I definitely can see it happening because Isaiah Livers is just – it would be interesting to see how they want to build it because if you want a guy who's not going to need the ball in his hands, knows how to play within the offense and will play off of a guy, I can see Isaiah Livers doing that for you. And especially defensively, Sadiq is behind defensively. I think Isaiah Livers is way ahead of him defensively. So I can see that happening. Although I, Sadiq, I think the problem with Sadiq is something that's probably just going to be him the rest of his career. He's just going to be really streaky. Like, I think he's just yeah. going to be a streaky guy. He, he's going to have hot streaks where he's going to go crazy. And then he'll have hot or uh, cold streaks where he, he can't hit anything. I think that's just probably what the player he's going to be. Um, He needs to make it more consistent, more consistently good than bad. But I think that's probably the player he's going to be. A lot of Pistons fans absolutely love him. They think he's going to be a superstar. I I don't think that. Um, but I think he'll probably be a good starter for the, in the NBA for probably 10 plus years. That's that's why I think of him.
0: Yeah, they definitely do have uh, some pretty high opinions of I mean, it. I'm with you. I think he can be solid, but I'm not convinced that there is this superstar upside with Sadiq Bae. Um Is the coach and the GM aligned, do you think? Because Casey has a reputation of being hard on rookies and trying to eke out every single win that he can with veterans over the development of rookies and, you know, the... the chopping and changing with Killian Hayes over his first two seasons with Corey Joseph getting minutes and yeah, they Rodney Magruder in for minutes and just guys sort of moving all over. Isaiah Stewart's minutes reduced last season in his second year after a promising rookie campaign. He didn't really take that step forward. Um, yeah, the coach looking at these guys who aren't necessarily providing the spacing around Cade with you yeah, bringing Bagley back. Are they aligned in, in what they're trying to do, do you think, for this season?
1: I think they are. I think... I think what's going on here is now listen, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Dwayne Casey. I think Dwayne Casey is exceptional at at making people grown men, like helping yep, young kids become grown men. I think he's absolutely exceptional at, at relating with guys and being there for guys and helping them grow as professionals. So I think he's good in that sense tremendously for young guys. As far as X and O's, I, I really disagree with a lot of things he does. Um, his rotation, I don't think he's very creative at all with his rotation. But I think the plan here with the coach and, and the GM, and it's talked about a little bit in the Pistons community. I think that Dwayne Casey will maybe coach this season. And then after this season, either after this season or next, he'll retire basically, move up into a front office position with the Pistons. And that Jerome Allen, who's on the Pistons bench right now, who was one of the biggest sought after guys before he came to Detroit when he was assistant for Boston. I think Jerome Allen will then take over for Dwayne Casey when he eventually moves on to the front office. So I think that's the plan. I think they understand that what the plan is for this season. Dwayne Casey is basically there to help these guys because the Pistons have like, I think it's like eight or nine guys under the age of 23, 23 and under, around there. They're very young. So I think he's, yeah. So I think he's great for guys again for them to help help them grow up, help them actually become adults. Because again, a lot of these guys were just in high school like a year ago, two years ago. So he's going to help them become adults. I think he's fantastic with that, how to be professionals, how to work hard in the NBA, all of that stuff. And I think that's what they need right now. So I think when it's time to take that next step, I think they both have an understanding that he'll move up into the front office and then someone else will take over moving forward.
0: How do you see Jaden Ivey working off the ball? Because... I don't think you want to take the ball out of Cade's hands the majority of the time. There's going to be times when he's not there. And I'm not convinced that Ivy is necessarily that number one A point guard anyway. He didn't have huge assist numbers at Purdue. He lacks shooting a little bit. He's As much as I love the pick and him getting him at five, I think there's real value there. Is I think it might be a little bit clunky early on with Cade as he tries to work into a role as more of an off-ball guy. Can you see how that can develop?
1: I think it is going to be a little clunky at the beginning, and I think a lot of it will probably not even have to do with them two. We've just talked about the starting yeah. lineup is just going to be so, like it may lack just complete spacing to a point. It's really going to be hard for both of them to really create for themselves and find driving lanes, and that's something that especially – Cade needs driving lanes, but especially and Ivy. He, he needs driving lanes. So I think that may hurt them. Um, I actually don't have too much concerns about Jane Ivy working off ball. I think he played a lot off ball, honestly, at, at, at Purdue, if I'm correct. I'm remembering which college he went to. Yeah, yeah, so I think he played off ball a ton there. Um, I think he'd be okay playing off the advantages. I think that's where he'll be his best. When Kate's able to create an advantage for him, he can attack the uh, recovering defense, a reacting defense. I actually have a lot of questions for him on ball. I'm thinking it's okay that they're not going to have the ball in his hands, at least I'm assuming a lot at the beginning, because I think he really struggles in the in-between area. He doesn't really have great decision making, I think, in in the in-between area it's either a straight line to the basket. I'm going to try to dunk on you. I'm going to draw a foul, which he did draw a lot of fouls in college. So I think that will be extremely valuable, but I think he his decision-making with the ball in his hands and expecting him to run the show. Um, I don't think that's what he, can, he he should be doing. So I think he can work off ball with Cade if they have adequate spacing. So I think it really comes back to that. I think he, if they have adequate spacing, he'll really love playing off of Cade Cunningham. I think Kate's going to get him a lot of ad- advantages catching the ball and attacking guys, um, closing out at him, or, or defense is overall reacting, help side defense reacting late, all that kind of stuff where he can really just use this less as when they just out-athlete guys and just get to the rim. Um, and you saw a little bit of that in summer league too because he's so athletic that he's going to draw fouls. Guys, are, are, he's going to beat them to the spot first, and they're either going to follow him by trying to get there or, two, just going to let him go by. He'll probably get a lot of layups. So I think he'll do fine there. I have a lot of questions, though, for him on ball.
0: Who do you think is a breakout candidate on this team? Killian Hayes. Oh, wow. I've been in on Hayes for two years, and now with the drafting of Ivy, I'm like out. I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's a really good defensive guard. I'm just not sure if anything offensively is going to happen. Sell me on it. Bring me back into the Killian Hayes fold.
1: So this is the thing with Killian Hayes, and I'm not going to lie. I'm one of the bigger guys on Killian Hayes, but I think I have a good argument for it. So one... I feel like he was known when you drafted him, he was going to be a little bit uh, like a guy who needed to develop things. And he hasn't really gotten the chance to really develop things. He's played through two seasons. Yes. But he just has over just a little bit over one season's worth of games. So he basically just hit his real second season, like the last 10 games of last season. So there's one, two when he came off the bench for the, I believe it was the last after the all-star break after coming off the bench, he looked a lot better Uh, Amari Sankofa of the Detroit Free Press, he came out with an article, I believe, like four weeks or three weeks into his role coming off the bench. His percentages, uh, his rim frequency, getting to the rim frequency, jumped, I believe, by about 20%. His finishing around the rim jumped by about 10%. Um, And then in the final 10 games of the season, I believe he was averaging around 10, 5, and 4 off the bench for the Pistons, shooting around 44% from the field. Um, So I think he started, as he came off the bench last season, you start to see him grow a little bit more. You start to see him get adjusted more. You start to see him gain some of that confidence. But I think it's the biggest thing with him. He's lacked so much confidence uh, over in France when he played. He had, it was basically his playground. He, he he was given the ball and he was able to do whatever he wanted. He's come to, to the Pistons. At first it was Blake Griffin, Jeremy Grant, Derrick Rose. He gets hurt. His hip. He comes back, Jeremy Grant show. Then the next year, he went from looking like the point guard of the future, or at least get the chance of doing that. Now you got Kay Cunningham, now he has, now he has to figure out how to play off ball. Now he has to be more of a uh, off ball catch and shoot threat when he's always been billed as the pick and roll maestro who's going to create for his guys. So I think he's had a lot of things happen for him throughout his young career that went against him. Um, he definitely hasn't done his part. I, I'm not trying to excuse him. He definitely hasn't developed how you'd want him to develop. But I don't think he's been necessarily dealt the best hand at all so far. I think as it started getting closer to a full season's worth of games in his career, and especially once it started hitting a second season worth of games for his career, really his last 10 games of the season, he started to look a lot better. He started attacking the rim a lot better. Um, Actually, over the last 11 games, there's 11 uh, points a game, four rebounds, four assists, 45% from the field. Um, So he was looking a lot better. I think he's going to be really good this season for the Pistons. He's great defensively. Um, He's i think he has like all defensive kind of capability at the guard position he's that good defensively um and i think offensively he starts showing his aggressiveness and showing that he can get to the rim and it's really just confidence with him so i think he's going to break out or break out in his terms i don't think he's going to average like 20 a game or anything but i think according to what he's done through his first two seasons i think he'll break out this year that's my argument
0: I'm gonna give you a chance here to think of who might be a regression candidate because I'm just gonna pause this because my dog's trying to open the door and he's getting he's getting distressed. I'm just gonna go let him into the room and you can have a think about a regression candidate. Alright, we're back. Obi's in here, he's more relaxed. Coo. Who is the regression candidate on this team? <sighs> um God,
1: that's a that's a that's a sad question. Um It's not it's not gonna be Kate, obviously. I don't think Kate's gonna no. regress at all. I think It might be the guy you hate the most i think it might be marvin bagley (laughs) i think marvin bagley is the biggest candidate to regress it's either him or i think it to. i mean the pistons are returning a lot of young guys going to like their second third season so it's hard to really pick that but i think the two guys is either marvin bagley or isaiah stewart and i guess i'll I'll go with isaiah stewart actually over marvin bagley because i think they're going to keep marvin bagley in that same role he was the final – whatever, how many games he played with the Pistons after the All-Star break. And if he stays in that role, I actually think he can achieve in that. I think he'll have to get better defensively to really be able to play in the playoffs. I don't think the Pistons are concerned about playing in the playoffs for like the next two years. So I think he's going to be fine. I think Marvin he's is going to catch a lot of dunks. He's going to catch a lot of alley-oops. He's going to put in a lot of putbacks. He's going to send in the dunker spot, and anytime he gets within 0-3 feet, he's going to finish the basketball. So I think he's going to be fine right there. Isaiah Stewart is the one that's being asked to now do something that he's not, we haven't seen him do through two years. They're talking about him being a stretch four. They think through four seasons or two seasons that all of a sudden he's going to be able to be more of a finesse player on the perimeter. I have very, very, very real concerns about that actually being able to happen. He's not very good in the DHO. I think if you're going to play the four, especially in Casey's offense, you need to be able to run DHOs. He's not very good at that. Um, he struggled with screening throughout his career. He started to look a little bit better at it last year, but he's not very good at, on screens. Um, and the thing with Isaiah Stewart, it's like it's tough because a lot of his value comes from offensive rebounds, but he's awful at putting back offensive rebounds. Like he was one of the worst. I think he was in like the 14th percentile last year in putbacks. Like it, it, it was bad. So he's really good at getting offensive rebounds, but you can't capitalize on them. So then they're like, okay, well, you can't really do nothing for us there. Let's pull you away from the basket. All right, well, if you're pulling him away from the basket, now you're taking away what his biggest asset is, which is getting offensive rebounds. So it's like, how, how is he really going to contribute offensively unless he's shooting close to 40% from deep, which I just don't think he's going to do. So I think because he's being asked to do a different role and we're going to see him shoot a lot of threes, it seems like this year, I also don't have a big belief in him being able to pass the ball, um, again, in like DHOs or high post work or dribbling around the perimeter, hitting back doors or anything like that. I don't have a big belief in him being able to do that. If he does, great. We'd love it, um, but we haven't seen him do any of that really. So I, I think simply because of that, um, because he struggles so much putting the ball in the basket around the rim that they're fine, They're trying to find somewhere for him to fit offensively, that that may be a reason why he regresses. I don't think he'll regress defensively. Defensively, he's fine. He's really good. Uh, but offensively, I think he might even take a step back from where he was last year.
0: Is this team better than last season? <sighs> nope. you're,
1: you're trying to get, get – you're trying to get me ousted from the business <laughs> community here. You're, 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 you're trying to get everybody coming after me. Um, I think it would be – I'm going to say I think it would be slightly crazy to say they are. I think it would be slightly lunacy if you said they were better, simply because they got rid of what who probably was objectively – now, he may not have been best for their rebuild or what was best for their young guys, but objectively probably their best player for the majority of last season, K was struggling, and Jeremy Grant – Uh, There's a little bit of a toss-up between him and Cade. But you give it to him, you bring in more young guys, 19, 18, 20-year-olds. They're not going to be good defensively because young guys usually are not good defensively, especially rookies. Rookies usually suck defensively. So you have that. You have a team. The Pistons were one of the historically worst shooting teams in NBA history last year. Like, across all shooting numbers, they were just one of the worst teams, not just last year, but historically. They didn't really address that and in fact you could argue they made it worse by trying to start the isaiah stewart marvin bagley duo um and then if they don't want to play ko and they want to find a way to pay jalen Jalen duran that could make it even worse so they got rid of what could have been their best player last year even though you could say cade their spacing may have gotten worse they're banking a ton on internal development now if that happens i I agree with them doing that because i think they should go another year of development then they should go another year of trying to get a high pick next year. And if guys do develop that, great, you get another pick and guys develop. So I agree with the, the way they went about it. I think they should have punted till next offseason. So I'm not criticizing the route they're taking. I'm just saying if you're trying to look at this team as oh, they're gonna win a lot of games. No, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I think very clearly Weaver, by his decisions and his moves this offseason, chose the another year of development with Roy's young guys. He chose another year of young guys, got more young guys. And he punted on DeAndre Aiden. He punted on Jalen Brunson. He punted on all these guys to get more cap space next offseason um, and give these guys another year to develop. So I'm, I'm not going to lie. If you have the argument for why you think they could be better, I'd love to hear it. But I I don't know if I see it at all.
0: I don't think that I see it either. But, hey, they've got cap space next season, and so Mason Plumley's going to be a free agent again. So you never know what could happen next offseason, coup. Quick answer on this one before I get into some fun quiz questions. Who is the most likely player to be traded?
1: Killian
0: Hayes. Wow. Okay. No Alec Burks, no and well We're going Killian Hayes. They've got, okay. They've yeah, got okay. Cal- enough, Kelly
1: enough. No, no, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> we're going to talk about if we're including the veterans, yes. Pi, KO. I think definitely Burks and Noel will probably be traded at the deadline. I think that's what's going to happen. But if we're going to go from the young core, I think
0: killing it. I, I, I'd i agree with that if you're talking young core, but Burks and Olenek can legitimately help good teams. Like they can actually yes. slide in and be seventh and eighth in rotations and be actually really good. And they're probably a little bit wasted on this squad. Um, so I think there should be you know, Noel, maybe maybe not but those those other two guys there is legitimate value in both of those um players for other teams so we'll see how that goes now I've got some quiz questions to finish things off here for you ku now you might be aware of the website basketball index they have a bunch of different talent grades that aren't just based on pure oh, uh, pure stats like three point shooting talent is not who is the best who has the best three-point percentage? It's based on difficulty of shots, self-creation, openness, volume, all that sort of stuff. Playmaking isn't just who had the most assists. It's who's creating the most opportunities? Who's throwing difficult passes? Who's throwing guys open? Who's got that volume and self-creation to open things up? And finishing is not just about you know, the anti-Isaiah Stewart who's getting putbacks and putting them in. It's like, are you getting through traffic? Are you driving? Are you finishing through contact? So basically, it's trying to get grades to base stuff off an eye test. Like, who is the best three-point shooter? Who is the best playmaker? Who is the best finisher? Not just on those one individual numbers. They've got their own grades for these things. So, as a Pistons connoisseur, I want to see if your opinion on these answers matches up with the grades that they gave you. And... We'll start with three-point shooting talent. I'll give you a tip. You said they're one of the worst three-point shooting shooting teams in history. The grade for the best player on this team was uh, basically right on league average. That was the best player. So it wasn't particularly high. Who do you think graded out as the best three-point shooting talent on this team? So I want
1: to say Isaiah Livers, but I don't know if he had enough volume to either get himself into this category or to really keep himself higher. So I'm not going to go with Isaiah Livers. I think the answer, I think it's either Sadiq Bey or Corey Joseph.
0: The answer is Sadiq Bey. You are correct because the he was taking a lot more self-created and pull-up shots. They didn't go in at a particularly high percentage, but that value of a self-created shot is important to spacing and to NBA teams. And while it didn't go in at 40%, it went in at like 35% or whatever it was, um, the difficulty of those shots, and again, out of that starting group, he probably was the guy and the volume he was taking them at is important too. He's probably the guy you want to go to. Now, I don't imagine you'll have too much difficulty with the playmaking talent one. Who's the best passer or who's the best playmaker on this team? Either Kate or Killian Hayes. It's Kate Cunningham and the best finisher on this team. Does Jeremy Grant count? He he does count, yeah.
1: I'm going to go with Jeremy
0: then. It wasn't him. He was very close. It was, in fact, Cade Cunningham with his uh, oh, okay. ab- ability to drive and, and finish through traffic. Grant was, was I think Grant was second, um, and uh, Cunningham was number one. i got one more question, and it does bring back old mate Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley was assisted by Cade Cunningham 33 times, by far the most of any player. We talked about their connection and yeah, lob threat and all that sort of stuff. Who was the next highest player that assisted Marvin Bagley? Because we know that nearly all of his shots are assisted. And how many assists did that player have? Was it Killian? It was not Killian. It surprised me. It was Sadiq Bey. He assisted him seven okay. seven times. So basically, Bagley got every shot from Kate. Really, because I think yeah. after Sadiq, the next guy was maybe Killian at three. Like, there was just nobody else. It was just, Every time that Bagley put it in, it was because it came from Cade's hands. So that maybe that's part of the idea of starting him and bringing him back, is just that connection worked really well. But it was basically just Cunningham feeding him for almost every shot that he put in during that time that he was in Detroit and Coup. That will do it for us in a Pistons season preview. Thank you for coming on talking Detroit Pistons with me. Tell people what you've got happening over on the Locked On Pistons podcast at the moment.
1: Oh man, listen man, we got a lot of stuff going on over here. I know it's the dead part of the season, it's the dead part of the off season, but we still going over here. Just like Josh is going over here at Locked On Fantasy Basketball, we still going over at Locked On Pistons. We talking a lot about what they've done this off season, we're predicting what we're going to see from guys in the future. Uh, Just this past episode, we dropped one. If you had to add one singular specific talent to each one of these three guys, Killing Hayes, Hamadou Diallo, Isaiah Stewart, what would it be? Give you guys a little bit of a spoiler alert. Mine for Killing Hayes was a floater. So that's the kind of thing we're diving into over – at Locked On Pistons. We're getting a little creative over here because, again, it is the dead space of the off-season, but we're still trucking. So hope you join me over there. It's a lot of fun.
0: I'd give Killian Hayes a right hand that works, but that's just me. Koo, <laughs> thank you for coming on and chatting uh, Detroit Pistons with me. Go follow Koo and check out the Locked On Pistons podcast. Thanks again, mate, for coming on.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate it.
0: And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you are here on YouTube, you know what to do. Thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.